Isaiah didn't feel like going to church last Sunday. His, uh, the king who had been reigning for 52 years had just died. His country was full of idolaters and uh, oppressors. And they were a small country that was sandwiched between three bigger countries who always seemed to want to take them over. So that Sunday, Isaiah went to church, the temple actually, but he only went there out of habit. He thought to himself, well, I'm just going to go this week. And I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm going to get it over with and just move on with my day. But God had other plans because God decided that that week he was going to fill the temple. And because that week he had a calling for Isaiah and worship was going to happen. If you have your Bibles uh, or you're watching online and you want to open up another tab, you turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 1. And also later in the uh, sermon, I'm going to be referring to Exodus chapter 19, if you want to open up yet another tab, or uh, if you have an actual Bible in front of you, you're just going to have to do the old flipperoo. So um, Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, the, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have lived among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. So, for those of you who are younger than I am, and that group seems to be getting bigger every single day, um, or for those of you who haven't been going to church for a long time, uh, about 20, 25 years ago, a lot of churches went through something called worship wars, okay? Which is a very odd phrase, if you ask me, because when I think of worship wars, the first thing I envision is people like running, running into each other Braveheart style on a field of battle holding like guitars and keyboards. And, uh, you know, most worship leaders I've ever met tend to be, you know, docile people not really involved in wars, except for Mike, don't mess with him. Yeah. <laughs> Cooking accident, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so when I was a kid, I was uh, growing up in church. You know, church basically happened the same way every week. We went to what you would now call a traditional church. But when I was growing up, we didn't know it was a traditional church. To us, it was just church because we weren't aware that anybody did church any other way. We would go into church. We'd sit down. They'd have the opening announcements. We would always sing three hymns right in a row, all out of the hymn book. And then someone would get up and sing a special song. And then we would take the offering. And then we would do the choir special unless we didn't have a choir special ready that week. And then somebody would sing another special song. And inevitably, at some point during one of the special songs, somebody would forget the words or they would get choked up. And so you'd hear about a minute of instrumental track. And then the preacher would get up and preach for usually about 45 minutes, unless he was really feeling it that week. Then it was at least an hour or more. 
and then we'd have altar call, and then we'd have dismissal, and then we'd have buffet. Or um, sometimes we would go to the cafeteria restaurant. Like I don't, I don't think there are too many of these left, but there used to be these restaurants. They were like your school cafeteria, and you would go in, and you would grab a tray, and then you would pick the food out from underneath the glass, and then you would go up to the cash register, and you would pay, and then you would go sit down. And there was a place like this we used to go to all the time called Quincy's, and uh, uh, they had waiters, like they would bring you drinks, and they would bring you this thing called like a big fat yeast roll, which was like about six inches long, and it was covered in butter, and then eventually you too would become big and fat. And um, you know, to me, this was the height of fine dining because whenever we went there, like the line was always out the door. And so I just thought that this was the fanciest place in town and then come to find out that the only time anybody ever went there was after church, just like we did, and then you know, eventually it shut down. And uh, so, and that was how we did church, week after week, year after year. And then someday, at some point, and I don't know who, and I don't know when, but somebody said, what if we didn't sing songs out of the hymn book? And instead, we sung songs that sounded like the songs on the radio, the adult contemporary station, not the heavy metal station, because that would be crazy. But so, and then they started singing those types of songs. And then those churches started to get bigger. And then other churches started to do it because they too wanted to get bigger. And then all of a sudden it became very formulaic. And the formula was guitar plus drum set plus keyboard minus organ equals church growth. And uh, so then, you know, a lot of other churches started copying it. And then the people who liked the hymns said, why are you taking our hymns away? We liked hymns. And then the other side said, no, this is how we have to do church now. We must do church this way. And then ergo worship war happened. And, uh, you know, both sides fought each other. And then eventually, no one really won the worship wars. Everybody just kind of retreated to their own side. And, uh, I mean, churches split up over this. I mean, it was bad. And um, in the end, you know, both sides were right in that, you know, their way of worship was the right way of worship. Because, you know, the kind of music you like, the genre you prefer is culturally conditioned. It has a lot to do with where you're from, where you're raised, what your preferences are. Um, so you could have hymns or choruses or jazz or heavy metal, probably not heavy metal, but, or, um, but also they were both wrong because worship is so much more than the kind of music that you listen to during church. So today we are going to talk about the fourfold pattern of worship found in the Bible. So there are four parts of every worship service, no matter where you go, what kind of church you go to, there are four things that happen at every worship service. Some churches are highly structured and some churches claim to have no order of worship at all. They still do have an order of worship even if they don't admit it. But four things happen at every worship service. So the first thing that happens is we enter for worship, okay? so. Something, sometimes if you've ever gone to like a highly liturgical church at the beginning of church, you know, they have the procession where like uh, 30 people come down the, the aisle and then they all go up to the, to the front and then they all go to their respective places. Some churches you go to, um, 
they have the music playing really loud when you come in. Some churches where you go to, they, you know, it's very quiet so you can sit and reflect in prayer. But all those, the reason they do that is because they want you to know that when it's time for church, you are coming in and doing something that's completely different from everything you've done the rest of the week. You are being intentional about the time that you have, that you are spending that time. So for those of you who worship online and who have never actually physically been to where we worship at, we worship in a recreation center, which is right next to a lake. And so every week when I pull into church, I feel like I'm pulling into an 80s beer commercial because there's people getting out of their cars and they're pulling their kayak off the top of their car and they're cracking open their Miller Lite and they've got 80s hair metal going on in the background. And I'm just like, hi, I'm here for church. Don't bother, you know, don't mind me. And, uh, but uh, we're literally, we're right next to a park and we're literally like surrounded by fun. I mean, there is racquetball, tennis, basketball, baseball, soccer. One time I saw, and I'm not making this up, I saw a Quidditch tournament in the soccer fields behind here. Right? The line, I'm dying. I'm, there was really a Quidditch tournament going on. Have you ever, you know how this works? But, and for those of you who are lost right now, Quidditch is this game in the Harry Potter books where they fly around on their brooms and try to score goals and, and whatnot. And, um, so I, I, there's, the way this works is, is like there's two teams and they, and they run around and in one hand they have a broom in their hand and then in the other hand they, they have the ball and then they try to you know, pass the ball to one another and score the goal. And then halfway during the game, there's a guy who puts on a yellow uniform and that's the snitch and then he runs around and then they, each team has a seeker that tries to catch the snitch and then when you catch the snitch, the game's over. What I've never understood about Quidditch, though, is, okay, you get 10 points for scoring a goal, and you get 150 points for catching the snitch. So once you catch the snitch, the game is over. You're not coming back from that. So what's the point in all the rest of it? Uh, that doesn't make sense to me, but people apparently enjoy this game. So, um, so anyways, we're surrounded by fun. So we come here and we are doing this intentionally because to worship the Lord, we are setting aside everything else that we could be doing or might be doing because we are here to worship the Lord. We are entering for worship. Now, you know, if you meet in a, a church with a chapel, that chapel is designated just for worship. You know, here at the recreation center, we, we put up things that Try, we to make this sacred space, like we put up a table with a cross in front of the, the wood paneling. Uh, we cover up the bingo scoreboards with a curtain. There are bingo scoreboards here. Like how intense do you have to be about bingo to have a bingo scoreboard? That's crazy. But, um, you know, looking back to, I, to Isaiah, um, he went to the temple. The temple was reserved for worship. The Israelites in Exodus chapter 19 went to Mount Sinai. Now, in and of themselves, there was nothing holy or sacred about where they were meeting. The temple was rocks and brick and wood. The, the mountain, Mount Sinai, was, you know, rocks and hills and trees. What made it holy was the fact that God's presence was there and that the people were gathered there for worship. That's what made it holy. So even if you're worshiping online and, you know, Technology has enabled us and the pandemic has required some of us to worship online. But even then, you are consecrating this time to worship the Lord, you know, 
instead of you know watching cat videos or the guy on TikTok riding a skateboard holding a bottle of ocean spray. You know, that guy's awesome, by the way. Um, and you are consecrating this time of the Lord. So what I would ask you is, you know, do you set aside time each week to worship the Lord? Because that's what that's what we're doing right here. So the second part of worship is God speaks. All right. So after we enter for worship, we experience God speaking to us in various ways. Um, you know, that happens through um, the scripture reading. That happens through prayer. That happens through preaching. Some of you might be questioning that right now, but um, normally it happens through preaching. Um, it even happens through the music. You know, there is theology in the music that we sing. There, in the hymns that, you know, I used to sing in church as a kid, there was theology in that. There's theology in the choruses that we sing in church today. You know, I used to be a big, uh, you know, if, if I didn't like the music that we were singing or the song we were singing, I was a, I was this, I would stand like this. Do I really sing? I don't like this music. Like this. And uh, one time I, I read something by uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the uh, German theologian, and he said, It is the voice of the church that is heard in singing together. It is not you that sings, it is the church that is singing. And you, as a member of the church, may share in its song. And I was like, Oh, you got a point there, D. All right, I'll sing the song. So I. I always make an effort to sing whatever we are singing, even if I don't like the song or I don't think I'm particularly good at singing the song. I still make an effort to sing it because I want to be part of the worship experience. I want to be part of the community. I want to participate in the theology that's being spoken through, through the songs. Um, in Isaiah chapter 6, God asks a question. That's how he speaks. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? In Exodus chapter 19, which I'm going to read now, he speaks to the Israelites of Mount Sinai. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai and they set out for Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountains. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the house of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders and the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. People all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So what God was doing with the people of Israel there, he was making a covenant, okay? And covenants didn't just happen in the Bible. Covenants happened all throughout the ancient world. Covenants happened from one person to another. They happened from kings to the people they were kings over. They happened between one nation or another. And a covenant wasn't so much of a contract. It was... An agreement. It was two parties working in a partnership. They were trying to achieve a common goal. They were saying, if you do your part and I do my part, we can achieve this together. God was saying to Israel, if you obey my commands, then you will be my people. And 
it wasn't because they were better than everybody else or they were special. He did that so that they could be a blessing to all the other nations so he could use them to carry out his work, his message to the whole world. And when we meet here now, we are, we are renewing the new covenant, the new covenant, which is that if you, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you ask for forgiveness of your sins, he is faithful to forgive you and give you eternal life. That's the new covenant that we have. And we renew that every week when we meet here, we renew that covenant. Um, so what I would ask you is during worship, are you listening to what God is asking? Are you looking to renew that covenant? Third part of worship is the people respond with a decision. So, after we hear God speaks, after we hear the message, we hear the sermon, we hear the music, um, now it's our turn. Now it's time to respond. In, in Isaiah, he said, here I am, send me. Wasn't even a hesitation. He just said, here I am, send me. And the people of Israel said, said all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And what was great was they didn't even hear what the terms were. They didn't even know exactly what God wanted them to do. He would spend the next 50 chapters explaining that, but he didn't know that they agreed to it without knowing all of the terms because they were that faithful. Um, so we have a chance every week to respond to what God is saying. You know, when I, in the church I, I grew up in, we had these things called altar calls. And so, uh, some churches still do this, not as many as used to, but the way it worked was there were these like wooden altar things that were set up in the front of the church. And then at the conclusion of the message, we would have altar call and then that was your chance to respond to the message. You could, you could ask for forgiveness of your sins. You could pray about something. You could ask others to pray for you. And there's nothing wrong with altar calls. I became a Christian because of an altar call. Um, sometimes they got to be a bit much. Um, we had these... We had these things called revivals where somebody uh, who was called an evangelist would come. And evangelist wasn't like a, a pastor of a church. He, he or she went from town to town, uh, kind of like the Highlander, but instead of righting wrongs, they would do revivals. And um, so they would do these revivals and sometimes they would last a week and sometimes they would last two weeks and we would go to church every night. And at the end of the sermon, they would have the altar call. And so what they would do is they would play like a really quiet song. And then they put the piano down to about half the volume. And then the evangelist would go up in front of everybody and say, say, I'm, I'm going to play one verse of this song. It's usually just as I am. So, just as I am without one plea. You have nothing to worry about. I'm not taking your job. And... Uh, <laughs> So they would play one verse of the song, and then the evangelist would get up there and say, all right, if nobody else comes up after this next verse of the song, we're going we're gonna to end the, the service. But if one more person comes up, then we'll play another verse. And so then they would do this. They would do another verse. And then after, like, the sixth time he's done that, I'm doing like this. I'm like, did anybody go up? Did anybody go up this time? Are we, are we done? Which is terrible, but I mean, you know, I'd already been there for three hours. I just, I wanted to go home. I, um, but that was, that was how we responded. Um, but there's many ways that you can respond to God speaking. Um, you can respond through prayer. You can respond through communion. You know, when we take communion, 
that is your way to respond to the message that you just heard because nobody's making you take communion. You are voluntarily coming up and receiving that. And that is a way to respond to the message. Um, so every week through worship, we are renewing our covenant uh, through Jesus Christ. And so the final part of worship is we exit to serve the Lord. And, um, you know, some churches have formal exits and, you know, the liturgical church that I mentioned earlier, the same 30 people that came in are the same 30 people that, that go out first. And then, you know, everybody else kind of follows them. And then uh, my pastor, when I was growing up, this was, this was his move. We would, we would finish up and then he would say, uh, uh, brother so-and-so, can you go ahead and end us in prayer? And which they never planned out ahead of time. It was just, he would just pick somebody and they'd have to pray. And then um, while he was praying, he would like kind of like run out the side door and he would do that so he could just go and like, shake everybody's hand as they were, as they were coming out. But, you know, once we exit the service, now it's, you know, our turn. What are we going to do with what we just heard? What are we going to do with the message we just had and and the decision that we just made? You know, at some point Isaiah had to leave the temple. He couldn't just stay in the temple forever. He had to leave the temple and become a prophet. He had to do the thing. He said, here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, Israel at some point had to leave Mount Sinai. They had to go and, and be the people of God. And so when we leave here, we go and we, we be the people of God. Um, we do that through various, you know, you can go and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You can evangelize somebody. Um, you can give somebody food. You can perform an act of charity. You can make a meal for somebody. We've had a lot of practice with that lately, haven't we? Yeah. Um, You know, there's various ways that you do that. But what worship asks you to do is what are you going to do with the message you just heard? What are what kind of actions are you going to pray? Because, you know, ultimately, worship is not passive. Worship is active. Worship is something that you participate in. Worship is something that that we all do together. And if we all do it together together then that's something that, that draws people in. We go out to serve and then we draw people in and then they want to worship with us. Um, so what I would ask you is, you know, what kind of, what kind of decision is God asking you to make today? What, what um, decision are you making? And what are you going to do with the words that God has for you? Are you going to say, here I am, send me? Are you going to say, we will do everything the Lord asks us to do? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for this time that we have to come together and worship you. Lord, I, I ask that you would hear the words that we have, that you would hear the words that were spoken, that were sung, and that you would help us, Lord, to respond appropriately, and that we could worship you more fully. And all these things I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.